Welcome to the Liberation Pedagogy Podcast. This is a place where radical ideas and methods are discussed in the quest towards freedom making. It is a space to dialogue, share, and learn about revolutionary politics, political struggles, radical solidarities, cultural resistance, healing justice, and is a crossing to unearth legacies of resistance pedagogies, global radicalism, and internationalism. I'm your host, Chani Desai, and if you like this episode, please subscribe. In this episode of the Liberation Pedagogy podcast, we have with us Shahrzad Mojab. Shahrzad Mojab is a scholar, teacher, and activist, and is internationally known for her work on the impact of war, displacement, and violence on women's learning and education, gender state migration and diaspora, Marxist feminism, and anti-racism pedagogy. She is a professor at the University of Toronto and is a co-editor of the book series with Peter Lang on Kurdish people, history, and politics. Her most recent books include Revolutionary Learning, Marxism, Feminism, and Knowledge, and Educating for Marx, Race, Gender, and Learning, both co-authored or co-edited with Sarah Carpenter, as well as Women, War, Violence, and Learning. She has published extensively in books and journals in various languages, which are too lengthy to list here, but I encourage you to check out. Shahrazad also uses the arts pedagogically in her work, specifically on women political prisoners, and most recently in a project with Roshanak Jabari and Doris Rajan, No Woman's Land, which is a dance project that captures the experience of refugee women of sexual violence. Also, between 1979 and 1983 in post-revolutionary Iran, Shahrazad spent four years in the left movement, women's movement, and the Kurdish autonomous movement. This episode partly reflects on this period. Shahrazad, it is a tremendous honor and privilege to have you with us today. Thank you, Chenni, for inviting me. It is the same honor and privilege for me. Thank you. Today's episode uses a format that is different from the standard conversational approach that we usually use on this podcast. In this episode, we are going to have Shahrazad enact a one-woman play. This one-woman play is an autobiographical narrative that memorializes revolutionary activity amid violence in the Middle East and elsewhere. Shahrazad's pedagogical rhythm is to understand the complexity of the current global power structure in the context of the history of colonialism and capitalism, in particular its very racist, patriarchal, and fascist nature. She urges us to critique identity politics, cultural relativism, fragmented knowledge of self, dehistoricized individualized notions of self and struggle, and a dichotomized mode of thinking, which does not match the reality as we collectively experience it day and night. This one-woman play in its performance embodies revolutionary pedagogy and teaches us to examine an individual autobiographical story to understand history, struggle, and social relations through a dialectical method. And so, Sharzad, over to you. S-H-A-H-R-Z-A-D. Shahzad. Oh, Shahzad. No, Shahzad. It is the same name as Shahrazad. The Princess on the One Thousand and One Night Story. 
the woman who told the king a tale every night, but did not finish it to keep him curious. The king postponed her killing to hear the conclusion, but she started a new story every night for 1,001 nights. Can I call you Sharon or Sherry? No, Sharzad. I'm named after a piece of music with the same name too. Rimsky-Korsakov, a well-known Russian composer, composed a symphony after my name. Take a listen. The violin solo represents me, Sharsad, as I'm telling my marvelous tales to the tyrant king. My father, waiting outside the room where my mother was giving birth, was accompanied by a friend who used to play violin. He gently played his tune as my father paced up and down the yard awaiting the arrival of his first child. As soon as he heard, it's a girl, and my cry, he said, my Sharsad. Moroccan sociologist Fatma Mernisi in her book, Shahrazad Goes West, represents Shahrazad as the truth-telling tale-teller, a figure representing a way to understand testimony and witnessing as the creation of a forceful and oppositional gendered subject emerging through the act of a speech. You have now heard the story of my name. With it, I have also told you my encounter at times frustrating with the mispronunciation and misspelling of it. The narrative of this encounter is revealing certain things about me and I'm taking risk in telling you. What kind of a name is this? Do you mean, where do I come from? I live in Toronto, but originally I'm from Iran. The freedom that you enjoy living here is unimaginable. 
isn't it comparing to Iran? Freedom, she says, the precious concept, word, mode of being and thinking. How simply we evoke it, how brutally it is taken away from us, and how hard we fight to regain it. This is the story of more than a century-long anti-colonial and anti-imperialist struggle of people of the Middle East, women and men. Be happy, yelled the young, bony-looking tall man. You're safe now. You're free. And he continued, we passed the Iranian border. I felt deeply sad. My stomach clenched. I felt cold under the beating sun of the desert at the border of Iran, Pakistan, and Afghanistan. To come my husband and crying one-year-old son, I swallowed my tears and fake the joy of freedom. There is no need to choose freedom, writes Nazem Hikmat. You are free, but this kind of freedom is a sad affair under the stars. still thinking where to begin I'm exposing myself you're beginning a process that I name it referential the process of inserting the references in my story into your knowledge box a treasure box full of images voices thoughts of a woman fleeing her country the veil terrorism exile migration refugee and or much more abstract thoughts on gender, race, racism, anti-racism, colonialism, war, genocide, tolerance, patriarchy, class, and authoritarianism. As you're thinking about my hasty deposed, de depositing historical and theoretical concept in this conversation, I hear the echo of the sigh of, of an older Kurdish woman whom I interviewed in a small city in Sweden. In her youth, she was a peshmerge, a freedom fighter. She said, only if these people, that is Europeans or Swedes, knew, only if they knew, if only they knew who I am or was, what I have done, what I can offer them today, in their mind, I am this pathetic refugee woman who only needs their empathy, 
and snatch their services. While in fact, what I need is a space to tell them my story. How under the tyrannical rule of the state, I mobilized, gathered and recruited women to resist. How I self-taught reading and writing in order to access the political literature. How I learned to manage a large community of youth, supported them, gave them hope in life and inspired them to dream of a better life in future. I had the freedom to stand up for my dreams. Here, I have all the freedom, but don't know what to do with it. Freedom, by comparing to Iran, I assume you're referring to the veil. I've never wore the veil, neither did my mother. So you were very Western modern like us. Oh, East-West, modern tradition, civilization, barbarism. These are incessant mode of thinking where complex interconnected social relations are isolated and put at the two ends of a strain, straight social line. This linear dichotomized mode of thinking, which does not match the reality as we collectively experience it day and night. This mode of thinking is an interruption in our way of being and relating in this world. I feel drained, exhausted of explaining self, myself, not as self, but as otherized, inferior, other. I was born in Shiraz, the magnificent Shiraz, city of poets, literature, wine, flowers, and gardens. Saadi, the classical poet of this city, wrote centuries ago, human beings are members of a whole in creation of one essence and soul. If one member is afflicted with pain, other members and easy will remain. If you know sympathy for human pain, the name of human you cannot retain. West is in East, East is in West, us in them, them in us. You know, I'm lamenting. You know, I was forced into exile. I live a perpetual exotic life. I intentionally hang on to this obscure exilic notion to speak of political and social, to redirect your gaze away from my name or accent to a totality called social resistance revolution, a gendered, classed, and racialized presence where forces of subordination and emancipation are wrestling with each other to make history. Modern, she said. A modern woman? I was a modern woman, not in the sense that you are implying. I joined the Iranian Kurdish women's movement to fight against the capitalist modernity of the Shah's regime and later the capitalist fundamentalism of the Islamic regime. 
I, we demanded freedom and equality for all. Emancipation, liberation from capitalist imperialist world order. This makes me a modern revolutionary woman. Oh, a feminist. Okay, what color did you want? The blue one. The bright blue with the stars? It's turquoise blue with the stars. Turquoise, the magical color of tiles and the sky in the east. Peeking through the cell bars in prison, it was only in the sky color that prisoners could sense the passage of time and the change in seasons. I want the turquoise blue with the stars to remember my friends who were executed. They were roses who were picked with an axe. هر شب ستارهای به زمین میکشند و باز این آسمان قمزده غرق ستاره هاست. Each night they bring down a star and yet this gloomy sky remains filled with the stars. The fall blue sky of Toronto is taking me back home. The years of revolution to prison years, but people passing by without a moment for pause and contemplation, without fathoming that some of us carry heavy secrets in our hearts. We are closed like pomegranates. Mahmoud Darwish, the late and beloved Palestinian poet, in his last book called In the Presence of Absence, describes how we remember. A memory is a pomegranate. Shall I open it over you and let it scatter seed by seed? Red perils befitting a farewell that asks nothing of me except forgetfulness. Forgetfulness is the training of imagination to respect reality by letting language rise above it. It is homegrown hope holding an incomplete image of tomorrow. Night descends upon us and we must tend to the concerns of those who left us for their own private night, forgetting or recalling a portion of the long farewell. Farewell is the silence separating sound from echo. Sound is broken and echo, and echo is preserved by attentive valleys and caves. That is the world's ears, listening closely as it reverberates into the echo of an echo. Let me pause and step out of this polyphonic narrative to tell you rather directly about my attempt in thinking through the pedagogy of revolution and historicizing settling to unsettle settlement. I began with a settling encounter in exile where I was making an effort to force a familiarity, a continuity in my home space. I was planning to frame my parents' wedding photo. 
It was taken in May 1953. The young white woman in the store, in her nice, caring Canadian way, said, Oh, how pretty! Is this you? My parents, I replied. The smile disappeared and a frown of curiosity covered her face. Hmm, they look very modern. I felt drained, tired of giving history lessons and narrating the story of a CIA MI6 plotted coup on August 19, 1953, only a few months after their wedding. A coup to overthrow the democratically elected Prime Minister Mohammed Mossadegh in order to strengthen the monarchical rule of the last king of the Pahlavi regime. I was born in the post-coup era. I was the subject and the object of this Western-style modernization development social reform. I also revolted against all of this, revolted 27 years after, in 1979. Now, we're even to begin to tell the story of a stolen revolution. to begin to tell the story of a stolen revolution. My life is interlocked with the 1979 revolution of Iran. Above all, I'm still a living witness to the rise and fall of the last populist revolution of the 20th century. I belong to the generation of women who were targeted by both secular and religious regimes. Our bodies were inscribed tested, dressed, undressed, shaped, and reshaped as part of the project of nation building and estate building. First in my teens, I was modernized, educated, and taught ideas of independence. Soon after finishing college ed education, I was sent to the US in the 70s on government scholarship to become a technocrat 
to redesign Iranian university structure along the American system of university governance. However, it was the ongoing force of the 1960s student movements, the anti-war Vietnam movement, the remnants of the radical socialist Black Panthers party, and the rise of feminist anti-colonial and anti-imperialist movements on the campus of the University of Illinois in the US that excited my, me and, and animated my life. In these movements, I discovered myself, my country, the Middle East, the Arab world, the whole world, my passion, my future. I rebelled against myself and colonial, patriarchal, racist, genocidal, capitalist relations around me. I became a Marxist feminist revolutionary, intensely in love with humanity. Pedagogically, I want you to pay attention to contradictory relations of imperialist modernization or so-called development, where a new world of capitalist development has opened up to us. However, this process is neither linear nor politically, socially emancipatory. Our society was open to global free market capitalism and with it, the class structure and struggle was renewed, reshaped, and new class power was restored. The rise of revolutionary ties put me back to Iran. Like thousands of other Iranian students abroad, I returned home to join in rebuilding post-monarchical Iran into a democratic society. As vague as it sounds now, and more than 40 years ago. The dream days were cut short, too short indeed for me to even have a chance to blink at any particular moment of it. I picked up the framed wedding photo on a hot summer day of 2009. Another heat overtook my life. The people of Iran rose up in millions against the rigging of, of the June 12th presidential election. Media images of young Iranian women, beautiful and daring, made me restless. I devoured every image on the internet and TV news, though could not be simply watching with dry eyes. Since my protesting days on the streets of Tehran in 1979, tears would cover my face with people's chanting or public performance of dissent, anything in any language that rhymes with down with the Shah, down with the US imperialism, down with fascism, all brings me into tears. In summers of 2009 and 2019, and then in the fall of 2019, one day I caught myself scanning the crowd intensely on social media in search of Leila, Sahar, Maryam, Ziba, Setare, or Tala of decades ago. We were in the crowd. We were carrying signs demanding equality for women, down with imperialism, down with dictatorship, free political prisoners. 
the fantasy and reality were joined in the images on my TV and computer screens. I was reliving the past in the present and was searching for myself in the crowd. The young Canadian woman in the artist store asked, is what we see true? Women look so un-Islamic in Iran. She framed the photo and me in the dichotomy of modern tradition and West, East, again and again. It's relentless. This is how I also looked 40 years ago. I replied, I was the generation who wanted change and an end to the misery of millions of life. But we were robbed of that opportunity. Our naivete and idealism cost the lives of our comrades who were executed, purged from universities. And all of this began in 1980s. In recent years, rebelling generation of women grad gradually are instituting my last sense of pride. I feel I can breathe smoother after swallowing the lump of shame, the shame of the defeat of the revolution that was growing in my throat all these years. I feel my dignity is being restored. In nesting my research with on women political prisoners from the Middle East is a historical choice not to remain silent. What about my years of research on the state violence in suppressing academic freedom, purging students, staff, and faculty members in order to institute the Islamic Cultural Revolution in Iran, which began in the 1980s? How to speak of joining Kurdish women's struggle in the 80s to become an internationalist, to overcome nationalism, authoritarianism, and now fascism? How to escape the state violence legacies of colonial and capitalist imperialism in the Middle East and try to understand it in a deeper and interconnected way through the history of genocide, residential schools, displacement and patriarchal racialized violence against women in the country that it is now hosting me, Canada. You know a lot about me. You know about my name, my origin, that I was forced into exile, that I am a political refugee in Canada, and after all these years, still is trying to remember not to forget, to settle, to remain unsettled, an unsettled settler colonial history. In my autobiographical narrative, I have sketched contours of me self, my identities, but have also centered the self in history and society. Therefore, I'm trying to present you a critique of identity politics, cultural relativism, fragmented knowledge of self, dehistoricized, individualized notion of self and a struggle. Maybe the unsettling is a call for action to stop the state monopoly of violence, on policing, on war, genocide, suppression, and oppression, 
on the creation of a prison industrial complex or on the attack on Blacks, Indigenous people, and national minorities. Possibly remembering is an act of settling and exalting the legacy of resistance and survival in our history, a history which is a call to build communities and a stand in solidarity with all those who tried to make the world a better place for us all. I'm trying to comprehend deeper what happened to the social and political struggle of a generation in the 80s throughout the Middle East, where today the world leaves the consequence of its defeat. I yearn to trace in detail and tell it with clarity and tell it ethically the ways with which the capitalist imperialist states built and legitimized their power through the uh, practicing and refining their technique of incarceration and torture throughout the region. Women in prisons, homes, campuses, streets, workplaces are subjected to torture and rape twice. Once as a public figure, as a communist, socialist, nationalist activist, artist, journalist, or as a young aspiring freedom-seeking woman with no particular political ideological home as yet, and then the second time as a woman, a woman dared to cross the patriarchal boundaries of family, community, and the state. Through uncovering women's stories of imprisonment, purging, and national struggle, my pedagogical political goal is to make visible the consequences of a state violence where the forces of patriarchy, religion, and the capitalist social order are played and arranged on women's body and their sexuality. In the book, Telling Stories, the use of personal narratives in the social sciences and history, we read, stories we tell are individual creations, but never simply individual creations. They are told in historically specific times and places and draw on the rules and models and other narratives in circulation that govern how a story elements link together in a temporal logic. In, whether, in other words, I'm trying to make the objectified subject of inquiry, that is women of the Middle East, the subject, the agent, and the maker of their own history. My point of entry into their life is through their testimonies and experiences. Their standpoint as a woman, as an activist, as a political prisoner, as a refugee, as an artist, as a student, as a faculty member. However, the knowledge created through the knowing of experience and telling it as a story is partial and incomplete. Joanna Scott argues, it is not individuals who have experience, but subjects who are constituted through experience. Experience in, in this definition then becomes not the origin of our explanation, not the authoritative evidence that ground what is known, but rather 
that which we seek to explain, that about which knowledge is produced. To think about experience in this way is to historicize it as well as to historicize the identities it produced. It's a historicizing that implies critical scrutiny of all explanatory categories usually taken for granted, including the category of experience. Have you noticed that I'm trying to disturb the construct of women of a vast and diverse region, named by colonizers as the Middle East, as Muslim women? Do you realize that in this articulation, I'm questioning and raising doubts about the politics of identity, cultural relativism, and essentializing women of the region? This is the opposition on knowledge I'm creating in the story of my storytelling, to unravel tales of past, to trace the relations that constituted the present condition, to envisage within now the possibilities of future. Sharsad of the 1001 Nights settled into a rhythm of a storytelling to revolt, to preserve lives. My pedagogical rhythm is to understand the complexity of the current global power structure in the context of the history of colonialism and capitalism. In particular, it's very racist, patriarchal and fascist nature. I speak to make visible the invisible context of violent transnational, racial, ethnic and religious conflicts which cause larger scale population displacement, poverty and violence. When I look with admiration at the ongoing revolts, uprising and resistance in the streets of our cities, even so the outcome remains not certain. I'm impressed and inspired by women and men who speak. They give me courage to speak of revolutionary theory, revolutionary organizing, and revolutionary feminist consciousness to make a revolution. وتر وحيد يقاوم يقاوم Thank you, Sharzad, for this moving narrative and powerful performance that unsettles history. This narrative of the human condition and memorializing your stolen revolution and state violence. This reminds me of your forthcoming writing on memorializing the life of revolutionary women, in which you use memoirs like Sakina Johnson's memoir and weave it into your own autobiographical narrative that brings to life erased and untold stories of revolutionary women in the Middle East. Listeners should check out this forthcoming chapter in a book on memorializing violence.
I want to close by once again expressing my gratitude for your important and impactful work, and most importantly, for your revolutionary commitment and revolutionary pedagogy. Thank you. Thank you, Chenny. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Liberation Pedagogy Podcast. If you'd like to learn more and engage with us, please check us out at www.liberationpedagogyproject.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.